Welcome. Thanks for coming today and joining us and being a part of our celebration Sunday here at Mount Helena. I am excited for the two services that are coming this fall. Uh, I am looking forward to some growth and some expansion, and that doesn't mean that, it'll, that it won't be sacrificed, but uh, it's all for good reasons and great purposes. You know, with these two services, great opportunity is in front of us. Would you agree? There's great opportunity before us. It's opportunity with vision to reach others and to build community, which is our mission statement, to build community. Building community doesn't end up having a lid on it, does it? There's not an end to it. There's not a finish line. It's one with great purpose to multiply through you and I by living out the mission of Jesus Christ which is the other half of our vision statement, to live out the mission of Jesus Christ. That you and I, likewise, there's not a lid to that. There's not a finish line to that, is there? It's an ongoing process, a never-ending process. But it's also one that requires growth. It requires expansion. It will require sacrifice. It's a great opportunity. This fall is a great opportunity. Another uh, past great opportunity that just passed a couple weeks ago is the Global Leadership Summit. How many of you were able to attend the Global Leadership Summit here at Mount Helena? Excellent. Yeah, fantastic. I have it still just going through my veins, right? I haven't processed all of it, and uh, some of the quotes are uh, at the top or the forefront of my mind, and though I may not even understand them to the depth that I'm going to, um, it, it's going through my, uh, my, the veins of my heart and my soul. I, I love the Global Leadership Summit. We are one of hundreds of host sites around the U.S. and uh, around the world, and it's a privilege to have the Global Leadership Summit uh, simulcast here. Uh, today, I'm going to be referring to both and uh, including some quotes from the Global Leadership Summit to make some of my points And uh, currently, we are in a kingdom series. We're talking about kingdom values, and specifically the values that we have here at Mount Helena Community Church. In terms of the kingdom, I mean, that's a never-ending conversation as well. Wouldn't you say the values of the kingdom of God? It's a never-ending conversation. Uh, Even values here at Mount Helena, somehow we have to pare them down. We have to put them into focus and into context and say, These are the ones that are going to propel us right now. These are the ones that we're going to build on and build towards and use in this building phase. And so we have boiled those down to five. JR has done that for us. And those are being uh, authentic or authenticity, generosity, commitment, development. And what I'll be sharing about and talking about today is family. Family is a value that motivates us. It motivates us to grow. It motivates us in who we are, how we live our lives, how we look and view others, how we would like to be seen and included. I may sometimes use some other words for the word family almost synonymously. I'm sorry. I sometimes do that, using the word community or referring to the spiritual family But I'm talking about us. I'm talking about us as Mount Helena Community Church specifically. 
Family is uh, pretty dear to me right now. Uh, I have been in a season uh, myself personally where uh, my dad passed away uh, almost two years ago at the end of this month. And uh, uh, even at the very moment of the passing of my dad, I had lots of questions. And I had asked him a number of those questions poignantly and specifically, and yet trying to honor him and not um, step on his toes or offend him. But uh, despite my dad, uh, in some ways, I think mostly embarrassingly and not wanting to um, take the risk of being vulnerable, thought that I might not find out all the information that I have found out since. I've recently discovered I have another brother, and... uh, It has been a process in itself, so in some ways, my family that I've known and have experienced, I thought, uh, this was my family that has grown and that has expanded for both uh, my brother Ben and I. And uh, so recently, at the end of July, uh, that brother who we have connected with, uh, uh, it's amazing the day and age that we live in, right? Um, Being able to connect over Facebook and being able to talk, uh, of course, over the phone, but not just that, but to be able to verify. For him, the DNA test was necessary. For me, I was almost 100% conclusive when I saw his picture. (laughs) I'm like, you haven't been in my life the whole 42 years I've been around, but I'm... I'm picking up through the picture on Facebook. You are my brother. It's crazy. It's crazy, right? Before I'd even heard his voice or learned of some of his mannerisms and behavior. That's my brother. That's a brother. We share something in common. And it's crazy, even though I want to say we're so different. There's so many differences about us. You you. Even distance, even separation, even unknowing of who your family is. He, was, he grew up without his dad. My dad is his dad. And uh, I don't know for sure whether they knew uh, who his dad was or not, but he was raised um, by someone who was not his dad. And when he was three years old, his mother died. And so he doesn't remember, he doesn't have memories of his mother. And when you sit down and you hear someone's story and you hear what has made them who they are today, you, uh, you and I both, we're amazed, aren't we? The time that will take to hear someone's story, and even more so family. I mean, for some people, the kind of adventure that I've been on with family in the last two years, some people would be discouraged and frustrated and disappointed and Let bitterness and resentment take root. For me, it's been an adventure. I'd be lying if I weren't standing before you saying it's not saying it has been fun. It has been exciting. It's been cool. And despite what I think my dad's response uh, or what the response that I think that he feared of maybe me rejecting him if I knew of his true story or his past or the decisions that he had made, that maybe somehow I would look at him differently or that I would shame him or that our relationship would grow distant. I, I, think, I, I think quite the contrary. I'm glad I wasn't tempted with it. At the same time, my relationship with God, God has gotten so much bigger. We all know how big God is, we think. Right? 
But there's some of you even sitting in chairs today. God's gotten bigger for you this week. For some of you, God's gotten even bigger this month. That's the enormity of God. That's how big he is. We know he's a great big God. He's a redeeming God. He's an amazing God. And at the same time, he gets bigger and bigger, more and more loving and caring. And we look back and we see how much more intentional he has been, what he's preserved us in, what he has for us, and what he still believes in us. So family has been particularly important to me, and family in the church is important. Can we look at some scriptures together? Let's look at some verses, some some scripture, some context of family before God. By family, I'm not just talking at the home. I loved it, the GLS, one of the generational speakers said, you know what the single most important factor of forming a generation, the single most factor that will shape and form a generation comes down to one thing. He said parenting. Parenting shapes future generations. The quality of it, the absence of it, the significance of it, the intentionality of it, no matter what, parenting is the single most factor that will shape each and every generation that has come or that will ever come. But that's not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about is this family, the spiritual family. In 1 John chapter 3, if you'd turn there, 1 John chapter 3, it's on the screens as well, verses 1 and 2, it says, What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God? Children. He calls us children of Him. It says, Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. I love that. I love that kind of acceptance. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, it says, Blessed be the God and Father. This is the one that we just sang of in worship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be, on, be holy and without blame before him in, loving, in love, having predestined us to adoption. To adoption, we've been adopted. We've been taken in to the family of God. We are a part of his family. Predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Then in chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, it says, For through him we, have, or we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. It's God who first calls us a part of his family. This isn't being made up. God brings us into family. He calls us not just friend, but brother, sister, children. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? That we are a part and meant to be family, to act like family, to behave like family, to treasure like family, 
to create memories together like family, to have significance with one another, to share responsibility for one another, to make sacrifice for one another like family. In Ephesians 3, verse 14 and 15, it says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. My family name's important to me. My last name's Harris, but there's nothing that compares to being a part of the family of God, to having that title. People are into crests and really into ancestry right now and, and trees and all those things, right? But there's nothing that trumps the significance of me being called into the family of God. It changes earthly dynamics. It changes spiritual dynamics. It, it, it changes eternal states and status and purpose for me. It's a MAGA exchange. It's a massive exchange to move from just being a Harris, a part of this family, to moving into being a part of the family of God through a connection, through a confession of Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Wow. So the idea of us being a family first comes from God. It's not a leadership idea. It's not something that we try and project upon us to try and build camaraderie. It's not a matter of motivation. It's fact. God states that he calls you children If he calls you a child, and you a child, and you a child, and you're all his child, then we're all family. No ifs, ands, or buts. However we got in here, however we got in, whatever our adoption story is, we're family, right? But with today's statistics of broken homes and broken relationships, with division, with individualism as rampant as it is, with entitlement on the surge, with sexism, with segregation, with gender discrimination like it is today, with economic discrimination and classism and naturalism and political division, how are we to turn the tide? How are we to go beyond that? When those things are right in our face, just about everywhere we go, right? In our workplaces, some of it in our own homes, in our city, in our community, certainly on the TV, in the news, how are we to turn the tide? We need God's vision of family. We need God's vision of family. I heard a story of a of a young girl who went in for went into the optometrist uh, for an eye appointment for a checkup, and her dad was with her. I kind of picture it maybe being uh, my oldest and me for some reason, Adela and I at the optometrist, which we did recently, right? But this young girl had contacts, and she left the appointment. And when they got home, she said to her dad, "I can see so much better now." She hadn't had a change of prescription. Her contacts hadn't changed or anything, but somehow she had mistakenly, sometime in the course of the last year since she had been at her last eye checkup, 
she had switched her contacts. Her right was one prescription, and her left was another. And the difference was ever so slight, but it was different. And somewhere, mistakenly, she had switched them. And her dad said, but couldn't you tell the difference? Didn't that drive you crazy? Doesn't that sound just like a dad? Adela, does that sound like me? But she said something profound. Yeah, but I just got used to it. Isn't that true of us? Something doesn't quite seem right. It's not the way it should be, but it is. And we kind of just get used to it. We know that there's something different or better, but we just kind of get used to it. We know we don't necessarily see as clearly as we did, but we're not sure what to do about it, how to change it. What happened? Why is it this way? We need God's vision for family. We have to go back to God's word. We have to go back to him saying, no, you are mine. You're a part of my family, and here's what I intend. We can't settle for our definition or the world's definition of family. We have to pursue, even as a spiritual family, we inside of these walls and when we leave these walls and we gather outside of here, we have to mind and pay attention and look at God's vision for our life and for our families and for this spiritual family. I can tell you God's intention for the spiritual family is not to just gather on a Sunday. It's not just to be provoked in a 40 to 45 minute sermon after a set of worship and leave these doors and not see one another, not be with one another, not provoke, encourage, spur one another on, the scripture says. It's to be together, to be on a spiritual journey together, a progress Are you with me? Good. I have some questions for you. How do, we, how do we function as a healthy family? How? How do we turn the tide? How do we need to act or behave as a healthy family? What needs to be priority? How can we grow, all of us? How can you grow as a part of this spiritual family? called Mount Helena Community Church. MHCC desperately needs God's vision of family. It's so easy to get focused on just like family, right? When you gather with all of your family for five days, don't you start picking out weaknesses in one another and annoyances, right? My dad always used to say, family's just like fish. They're fine to be around for about three days. After that, move them on. They start to stink, right? Yeah, maybe it's just an old timer. That's not an option for us, right? It's not an option for us. We need God's vision of family. I don't have time today to exhaust it, but there are a number of things that I want to bring before you today and provoke us and create some tension, if you will, in us to grow to mature, to move on. Do you know how cars move on? They say, I, heard, I once heard that cars move 
because of tension between the tires and the road. Because of tension between tires and the road and the person navigating the car knows how much gas and how much brake and how much tension to the right and to the left. Attention is controlled to make that car go forward. I want to create some tension this morning in each one of us for some forward movement. We're all entering this season of forward movement as a church family and it won't be without our own kind of attention that will bring forward movement for us. During the Global Leadership Summit, Danielle Strickland, who's a former officer of the Salvation Army, who's spoke several times now at the, at the summit, said, there's no changing the future without disturbing the present. If you want to preserve the present, there's no way to change or to grow. There's not going to be forward movement. It will be stagnant. But with a good kind of tension, forward movement can happen. For us as a group of people with a certain amount of humility, with a certain amount of sacrifice, with a certain amount of willingness, with a certain amount of joy and pleasure and privilege, there'll be forward movement. There'll be growth. There'll be expansion. So these are, these are five that I want to share with you today. Five aspirations, if you will, related to family. As God's family, we aspire to be relational people. We have to. We have to aspire. There is such a great challenge in our society today to be non-relational or to be relational primarily in just the context of social media. But we have to be a people who are relational. We have to have real relationships with real people. Aja Brown said at the summit, people are the most critical resource of our organizations. No matter what organization you're a part of, you lead, you have responsibility for, you serve in, the most important resource are people. Above money, above possessions, above vision, above mission. You know, God cares so much about his kingdom and he has principles and he has ways that he wants you and I to live but you know what it connects to it's all about people it's all about the kingdom expanding because people commit themselves to Jesus Christ and they receive his love and his forgiveness it all still connects to people we need to be people who are who have real relationships who are unguarded who offer ourselves to others, who are committed in relationship. I recently heard just this week of a conversation between Erwin McManus. You may not know who he is, but he's an author, pastor, pastor of Mosaic Church. And I I read his first book of his that I read um, back in 2005, I think, was uh, The Barbarian Way. And he's written a bunch since, but he talks about a conversation that he had with Mark Burnett. Mark Burnett uh, is the TV producer who started Survivor and uh, The Apprentice, uh, Shark Tank, just a number of hit reality shows. Um, and Mark sought him out at a conference one time. Mark sought out Erwin uh, and 
somehow it was relayed to Irwin that Mark Burnett wanted to meet him. And Irwin always wanted to meet Barnett, Mark Burnett, but he kind of wondered, like, is this, is this the Mark, real Mark Burnett who I know that wants to meet me? He left room in case it wasn't the Mark Burnett that he was thinking of it, that it was. And surely he wanted to meet him. But it started a friendship. It started a relationship. And Mark wasn't out for something. Erwin McManus says that anybody who knows Mark Burnett knows that he doesn't take credit for all those shows. He's had the same team for years and years and years. And he says together as team, with unity, almost like a family, they have created these things. It's been their ideas. It hasn't been his ideas. He's had a part in it. But it's really credit to his whole team. And though Mark didn't have anything to necessarily get from Irwin, it started a relationship that was ongoing. And numerous times, Mark would offer something to Irwin, almost fishing for more relationship and more engagement, not to get something, but for the quality of the relationship. And one day, he had to stop Irwin, and he just said, you need to believe in our friendship. Because he noticed Irwin wasn't ever really taking him up on their friendship. The things that he would offer, not to get, but just to be, he felt like Irwin kind of had a wall and wouldn't necessarily take him up on it. And he said, you need to believe in our friendship. Some of us need a friend to sit across from us and say, you need to believe in our friendship. We need people in our lives. We need to be relational. Let me ask you, what are the relationships in your life where they would believe in your friendship? What friendships can you believe in? And what friendships do you want to believe in? What are some of the relationships that you know you could take responsibility to help build, to help make stronger? Of course, there's practical challenges. We all have time constraints. We all have priorities. We all have things that we want to do and accomplish, things that we have to do. And it's so easy to get self-focused, right? But if we're going to be the people of Jesus Christ, if we're going to be the family of God, we have to value relationship. We have to embrace God's value for relationship. And every once in a while, we have to look kind of like that girl and go, do I have the right contacts in the right eye? Am I seeing this the way God sees it? Or am I seeing it the way I'd like to see it, what I need to accomplish, what I need to get done? Do I really not have time for that person? Or is it just not convenient? There's others like compassion and being nurturing and being bridge builders, building bridges into our community and across churches. There's other qualities that we would aspire to as the family of God, but I want to share next about hospitality. We want to be a hospitable people. We aspire to be hospitable. We've recently undergone a lot of changes in first impressions. Those changes have mostly happened in the lobby, some improvements, but we are embracing a different vision and a different motivation, kind of re-energizing people on the team. And, and it's really for the purpose of connecting with people. Again, during the summit, someone shared an E.M. Forrester quote, and this interviewer was sitting down with a, with a pretty well-to-do ABC correspondent and 
someone who was respons- had lots of responsibilities and led a lot of people on teams. And to boil their conversation down, they said, what one thing, what one thing, can you give me one takeaway to share with my team in terms of leadership, one value that I could download to them? And this person used this quote of E.M. Forrester's that said, only connect, only connect. Essentially, if we're not connecting with people, our message is ineffective from the beginning, from the get-go. Our motivations don't really matter if we don't have a connection. We want to develop connections out there before people even get in here. I really believe our ability to connect with people, even in the lobby and at the front doors, may have an effect on their ability to connect with God even in here. No matter how good the worship is, no matter how well it sounds, we're a relational people. We're not just a media-driven people. We're created for relationship. How we treat people matters. We have to connect with people. When my brother was here, when my new brother was here for about a week with us, uh, with he and his girlfriend, we did a lot of activities. We ran to Virginia City, We had uh, dug for sapphires. I'd never done that before, though. We have three sapphire mines around Helena. Uh, I grew up here. I'd never done that before. They were totally into it and wanted to do it. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's go do it. And uh, my kids had a blast doing it. We had a lot of memories together. Went to the rodeo together. um, And, but by far, more than the experiences and the adventure that we shared together, for us, It was the meal time. It was sharing meals together. Our most real conversations and heart connections happened around food. We ended up at the windbag numerous times, several times, and spent two to three hours sitting there hearing one another's story and what had happened in our childhood and our upbringing, if you will, what had brought us to today, right? And there's times we just, we really need to make time to not just say hi to somebody, but to share a meal with someone, to hear their stories. Even for my own brother, Ben, who I've known all my life, and I know more today than I have, ever have, but even during that week, we said, this, we have rarely ever spent a week of intentionality together like that, shared as many meals together, had as many intense but growing conversations together. It was incredible. There's this character at the Global Leadership Summit as well. He's a British social entrepreneur that they had speak there. His name was Dr. Krish Kanda. He's from Britain, and he and his wife are two incredible human beings. He said this, he said, make room for people to share their stories in order to understand their behaviors. Wow, that just really struck me. And even as I thought about the meals that we shared as a family together, I thought, man, if we didn't allow in the schedule for a three-hour lunch to happen, (laughs) if necessary, when it would pop up, and happen, we would have experienced a lot together, but not really known and understood 
related and connected to one another. Number three is we aspire to be participants, to actually participate together, to move beyond attending, to engage, to be involved, to share in one another's experiences. It's great to hear about a story sometimes, particularly really good stories, the second or third time, but there's absolutely no replacement for sharing in a story firsthand. Do you hear what I'm saying? There is no replacement to being there the first time when it really happened and catching all the details. And there's no way in tell, retelling a story, is there, to capture all of what just happened and what the experience was like and how satisfying it was and how big of an accomplishment it seemed. Participation together, there's no replacement for. Hearing about a story second or third hand will never replace the experience firsthand. The healthiest teams are made of servants, not just serve us types. We have a number of opportunities here at Mount Helena in this season moving forward, moving into the fall. There are so many opportunities. If you'd like to get involved, if you'd like to participate more, even just teams on Sunday, in MHCC Kids, there's opportunity to be a kid check host or greeter. There's opportunities to be a lead teacher, a lead worship leader. There's opportunities to be a breakout leader. There's opportunities to help with supplies and curriculum. On the First Impressions team, there's opportunities to be a greeter at the door. Opportunities to be a lobby greeter. To lead a team. To be at the Welcome Center. And available to others. To be a coffee bar host. There's opportunities to be a part of a prayer team. There's opportunity to be part of the prophetic team, the worship team, the media team. Colton Tannehill, thanks to you today. Hopping in back there. I've never done media here at Mount Helena today. He's said, I'm the man, I want to do it. I want to help out. Colton's eager to be a part of this family and to be a contributor. And to help out with worship and with media and with setup. And God desires all of us to participate firsthand, create memories together firsthand, not just hear from someone else, but to be engaged, to grow. If you want to be a part of any of those teams, it's as easy as going to one of those tables and grabbing a I'm stepping up card and sharing what you'd like to be involved in or participate in. As God's family, We aspire to be diverse here. It can be an excuse that we live in Helena, Montana, that we all need to look the same, act the same, think the same, behave the same. But God is a diverse God, isn't he? His kingdom is filled with all sorts of diversity from one end to the other. And I think his family, if we were to look, if you will, I'm speaking figuratively, but look at the DNA if we're all part of God's family, if we were to look at any of the DNA, there should be such a diversity, such a wide range. Sometimes we can get stuck in the thinking that diversity is just multi-generational. We just need to have the older and we need to have the younger and they all need to be invited and apart and participating. God values every single one of us the same, worth giving all of his life for. 
that all of us would understand, that all of us would participate, that all of us would engage and grow and contribute. But it's not just multi-generational. 18 months ago or so, I remember walking in on a particular Sunday and thinking, wow, God really wants to do this diversity thing. On a particular Sunday, I had invited a friend that I'd met here in Helena, and he lives here. He's from Jamaica. And he had started attending here and attending Mount Helena. And yet then there was two other couples that um, had moved here because of jobs who were coming to Mount Helena. uh, And they had moved, they were from India. They had moved from India to Canada and then ended up here in Helena. And then there was another lady who'd moved to Helena here for a job and she was from Mexico and she was beginning to attend Mount Helena. And yet then there was another couple who were just vacationing here and checking out, do we want to move, a Canadian couple, do we want to move to Helena? Maybe God wants to relocate us here and do something. I thought, wow, God, wouldn't that be awesome? That would be great, even in Helena, that we would have that kind of diversity and nationality and ethnicity and cultural change and contribution from them. And I really still do believe it. I think God wants to do something. In Helena, we have a diversity that may not be reflected the way God wants it to be reflected, even in his own church and his own family. I think God wants to do something in our hearts to include, to be on mission, even for diversity. But I just want to make you aware those people aren't here. We haven't retained them. Do they feel invited, included, or do they feel like they would have a place here to be on mission with us? I know it's God's heart for them to be on mission with us. Just this name's going to sound diverse here in Helena. But one of these one of the ladies that spoke at the Global Leadership Summit again, Bazoma St. John, shared a quote of Verna Myers and said, diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is being chosen to dance. God wants us to share responsibility, to share leadership, to share opportunity, to not just invite people to church, but say, hey, we have a place here for you to belong for you to contribute, for you to be a part, for you to be at the front, for you to help lead other people, to care for other people. What's your mission? What's your gifting? What's your calling? We value it here because you're a part of the family. We're here for one another's success, as Steve Steve Oliver would say. Number five is we need to be a radically inclusive group of people. Dr. Krish, the social uh, entrepreneur that I mentioned earlier from Britain and how amazing he and his wife are, they're amazing because they have, they've made radical inclusion a mission of their life. They have fostered so many. They never did put a number to how many kids he and his wife have fostered from not just England, but from around the world, and some of the roughest situations that he shared, and some of the most radical ways of sharing love and kindness to kids that many other people would say don't deserve it, or too complicated, 
or too conditioned and set in their ways. And there's almost, you got a sense of listening to him like, not a case too tough or too difficult. I enjoyed listening to him. But they shared story after story of radical inclusion towards these kids. And they also got to share some of the stories of those kids that were once in their homes that used to bite them, that used to do unthinkable things that would be some of the hardest to love and to care for, and yet share some of their greatest successes. One of the young ladies had been to prison, and when she got out of prison, she had been to prison as an adult, which he pointed out 70 to 80% of people who have been sex trafficked had formerly been in some sort of foster care in their upbringing and in their childhood, as well as the statistic is very high of, of those who have been incarcerated. This lady had ended up being incarcerated, and as she got out of prison, she had applied for 70 jobs and had 70 notices of rejection, of denial. And yet when she finally got her first job, they were sharing she's still at the same job today, and yet she's in a place of management, of leadership, of oversight. And she had an amazing, amazing amount of commitment, of loyalty to that employer, of thankfulness, of gratitude to that employer for the opportunity they gave her by just saying, giving her the first yes. But her contribution to that company was phenomenal. I love those kind of stories. You and I are that kind of story as well. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to turn to Romans chapter 5. You can turn there. But in Ephesians chapter 2, the author describes us as those who are separate, who are excluded. We are the foreigners of God and of God's people. There's a division between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. There's a great gulf. And yet it clarifies there in chapter 2, his purpose is to create one new humanity, reconciling both grasps through the cross. That he would reconcile both of us, both groups of people, and in verse 19, call us family. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of of his household. He calls us family, you guys. He wants us to value and hold to his vision of family. His radical redemption of inclusion is our own story. Romans chapter 5 describes you in this way. It says, you see, at just the right time, verse 6, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. I had to think about that verse for a long time. I wish I had time to share some of my thoughts. But but it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's radical. That's radical inclusion. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him 
through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Radical, redemptive inclusion. Not only this, or not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You've been radically redeemed and included, invited to dance, not just to the party, but to be a part of all the action, a part of the best part. Listen, as a group of people, as God's family, if we're going to achieve our greatest potential, we need to be able to answer two questions. You can write these down. Text them to yourself. Who is with you? Who's with you? And who are you with? You need your people. You need to belong to a group of people. I hope that you're here for one of two reasons. Either you're looking for a group of people to belong to, or you already call this home. This is already your spiritual family. And yet, I want to provoke every one of us. We're a relational people with even more of a capacity of some sort to connect, to belong here, to grow here, because I believe that God wants to grow this group of people. And he doesn't want to just use one person or a handful of elders or staff members. He wants to use every one of us to grow Mount Helena Community Church. Who's with you? Who are you with? And you need your people. To finish, there's all sorts of opportunities here, and it's not just limited to ministry teams. Small groups is another opportunity to connect with people. You need people. You don't want to walk alone in life. You want to be walking together. God wants us walking together and on mission and sharing with one another. There's opportunity to lead small groups. There's opportunity to attend small groups. There's opportunity for, sorry to make it sound so old-fashioned and old-school, but to have friendships, to have organic friendships, not just to-do lists, not just needs, wants, or desires, but to have friendships. There's opportunity for outreach and opportunity for evangelism. All these are invitations to be together. I see this move to the fall of two services as an invitation, an opportunity to be a part of, to participate in, to be included in. It's an opportunity for all of us. It's a great opportunity, but it won't be without some tension. It won't be without some deep consideration. It won't be without adjusting your schedule, your responsibilities, your commitment. But with it, there'll be forward movement. There will be forward movement. Will you pray with me? Father, I I thank you that the most important part of our life is not just career. It's not just talents or money or where we live. It's, It's relationships. And I thank you, God, that you're the most important relationship any one of us can have. And you desire for every one of us to have it. I pray if there's anybody here today who has not began a relationship with you, God, I pray that you'd give them courage to do so today, to say something to somebody, but most importantly, to engage in relationship with you, to invite you into their life. 
And I pray for all of us that are here that, God, we desperately need your gospel to grip our hearts in a fresh way. We need you to enable us to be your ministers of reconciliation, to be ministers not just in here to one another, but even out in the community. There are broken people out there. God, there are desperate people. There are lonely people who have to-do lists a mile long and can't even hardly think of how to begin a new friendship or a relationship. And yet, God, I know that you want to use us because you went entirely out of your way to reach us, to include us, to redeem us. So God, I pray that your gospel in these coming weeks and, and months leading up to the switch and the growth that you want to do in us, God, I pray that you would motivate us with your word. You'd motivate us, motivate us with your gospel. You'd motivate us with your love and your kindness that, God, you've so generously shared with us. I thank you for your word. Thank you for these values, and thank you for this, this family that we call Mount Helena Community Church. In Jesus' name, amen.